I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I don't know why I've got a uh, kind of a really weird voice today, and I just I can't emote. I'm trying like crazy, but bear with me. Sorry, you have to listen to it. Let's make this our morning prayer. It's a pretty good prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer. And what I'd like for you to do is just to repeat it in the stanzas that I repeated in. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, is teaching the disciples how to pray, and he says, therefore, you should pray like this. So would you give full voice in response, just repeat the same stanza that I state. Our Father who is in heaven, your name is to be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. We all said, amen, amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you would. Thank you. Starting a series on Team Creekside, and I want us to look at how in our lives we can begin to envelop service again. Uh, one of the great traits, you've always heard me say that our calling as a church, uh, it's our serving capacity is more important than our seating capacity. Our sending capacity is even more important than our seating capacity because we believe those are two of the earmarks of who Jesus was. Mark 10, 45, Jesus said this, I came not to be served, but to serve. And, and one, of the, one of the great spiritual and spirit parts of Creekside over the years has been our serving capacity. It's interesting, and I, I can tie it into a few things, I think, um, but it, it seems to have kind of lessened a little bit. And we want to really get back and make sure that we're doing what God calls us to do in terms of serving. So we're going to talk about that and what it looks like and what it means in the next few weeks. And uh, today I'm kind of doing a, it, it's kind of a weird intro to it, but it really has to do with us and who you are and because a lot of times some of the things that I'm going to be talking about today have a tendency to diminish or incapacitate us in terms of our service. There's a lot of sports analogies and metaphor metaphors that are used in life and in our spiritual life. Even the Apostle Paul, he talked about boxing, he talked about running, he talked about finishing the race. He talked about keeping your eye on the prize. And that's one of the things I love about the New Testament is all the sports metaphors that he uses. Today I want to talk and use a metaphor of another sport called poker. And you may not see that as a sport, but there's a lot of people that are professionals and get paid well to do it. As a matter of fact, that's how I raised a lot of my tuition in college. <laughs> Bible college. We used to, we had these long plane rides and bus rides for basketball, and so we would break out the cards. Now, I'm only kidding because I didn't really pay much of my tuition for that because um, it was only like penny-ante poker, you know, really small stakes. 
A big pot would have been 10 bucks or something, you know, a bunch of quarters. And don't tell anybody I told you that <laughs> because we're not supposed to do that in Bible college. But the, 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 the metaphor of poker is this, and I, and, I, and I saw Rick Warren talk about this years ago, and he talked about the, that every one of us has dealt five cards. In poker, there's a game called five-card stud. That means you get five cards, and that's all you get to play. And so he was talking about this, and I want us to see that, you know what? Every one of us has dealt cards. And a lot of times, it isn't the cards that were dealt, but it's how we play them. Because a really good poker player can be dealt a good hand, but he can still, like he can be dealt a bad hand, but still make good out of it. And I think it's the same way in our lives, loved ones. I see so many people that there's things that are dealt into our lives, and you can see people who can turn that hand into a great life. They can turn those five cards into a great life, and there's other people that get a pretty good hand, and they know how to mess it up and take it the other way. So we're going to look at that today, and I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. It's where I want to kind of use as our launching pad for some principles. Matthew chapter 25, uh, Jesus is really toward the last part of his earth ministry. And so he's given some of these heavy-duty parables that he's speaking to his followers and to the people, to the multitudes around. And the first one uh, where he's talking about the parable of the ten virgins, he's talking about five that were wise and ready and five that were unwise and didn't prepare uh, for his coming, prepare for the groom. And it's a picture of Jesus coming. Five were ready, five weren't. It's pretty, it's pretty solid language, and he gives a big challenge there. And then he moves to the parable of the talents. The talent that they're talking about there has to do with resources. It would have been a pretty high amount of money, a full day's wage. And, and he's talking about that, but what it's really representing is a person's life, their talents, their opportunities that God gives them, and what do they do with them. So let's pick it up in uh, chapter 25, verse 14. For it is just like a man who's going on a journey. Who's the man? Jesus. It's a parable. It's, a, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus is going to go on a journey, and he called his own slaves and turned over his possessions to them. So Jesus has done for us. He's given us gifts, and he's given opportunities. He called his own slaves and turned over his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one. And to each according to his own ability, he went on a journey. Then he went on a journey. So Jesus came, he gives us all these gifts, he gives us salvation, and he's gone. He's up in heaven. That's his journey. And immediately the man who had received five talents, he went and put them to work and he earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent, he went off and he dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Uh, back in that day, uh, probably, I don't know, it'd be like us putting, or like people used to do, put money in between the mattress. They figured that was a safe place. So they buried it. They figured nobody would find it. Well, after a long time, the master of the slaves came and he settled accounts with him. This is a picture of what Jesus is going to do. Never forget, loved ones, every one of us is going to stand before him. 
may not be uh, necessarily, for, if you know Christ, it's not to be judged in terms of salvation, but there is going to be an accounting of our life, loved ones, for what we did with what he's given us. Now, the man who had received five talents approached, and he presented five more talents, and he said, Master, you gave me five talents. Look, I've earned five more talents. Well, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. That's what we all want to hear, isn't it? Well done, that good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your master's domain. That's what I want to hear. You know, you messed up a lot, but ultimately you were faithful. Well, the man of two talents also approached, and he said, Master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've learned, earned two more talents. His master said the exact same thing to him. It wasn't because he had two and made five or the other one had five and made ten. It's just that he did commerce with it. He used it, and he added to it. He said, you were faithful over a few things, and I'll put you in charge of many things, sharing your master's joy. What's interesting here, loved ones, is we sometimes forget this. We forget that what we do down here is ultimately going to have place in what we do up there. I don't exactly know what that's going to look like. But a biblical principle is, and it's, and it's true in life, if you do a good job, guess what? You get more jobs. You do better there, you get more jobs and more responsibility. So what he's really saying here is that's how it works. The rich get richer. We don't really like that concept, but it's the way God says it operates, and heaven's going to operate like that. And so some of us, maybe we go, well, I think I'll just be a slacker here so I can just kind of slide into heaven. I don't want to have to do too much up there. But I guarantee you, whatever it is that God assigns us to do, where he says, enter into the joy, and he says, you're going to have many things here, it's going to be good. It's not going to be negative. It's not going to be bad. Because I know, you know, some of us are thinking, well, I'll do a good job here, and then I get to go to heaven and work. No, thank you. But it'll be good. Then the man who had received one talent also approached, and he said, Master, here's what I know about you, man. You're a difficult man. You reap where you haven't sown, and you gather where you haven't scattered seed. That would not be a good thing to say to God. <laughs> I know you gave me that talent, but that's all you did, man. And yet you want more from me. Are you kidding me? Don't do that. So I was afraid, and I went off and I hid your talent in the ground. Hey, look, man, I brought it back to you. You got what you gave me. But his master replied to him, and he said, you evil, lazy slave. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gathered where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited, at the very least, you should have put my money in a bank where it could get a scintilla of interest so there's something to it. So that when I returned, I would have received my money back with some interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw the good-for-nothing slave into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't like that. That's, that's just, you know, uh, that, that would not be good. Well, Lord, you're standing before the Lord, and he says, you know, take that good-for-nothing Riley and just kind of, you know, <laughs> grab from him whatever he did. That's not pleasant. But there's a few principles I want you to see from this parable. Number one is no one has been given the same things. 
We've been, no one's been given the same things, the same skills, the same talents, the same potential. Now, it, it doesn't say why here. It just states a truth. Some of us are five. Some of us are two. Some of us are one. Some of us are ten. The question will never be how much you brought back, but what did you do with it, and was there a return in God's investment in your life? God expects us, the second thing is God expects us to make the most of what we've been given. Use it. Third, you did not choose the things that God has given to you. God did. So Jesus says that our life is ultimately going to be evaluated if we're going to put it in the metaphor, the vernacular, the analogy of poker. He says, I've given you these five cards. How are you going to use them to develop a winning hand for your life? In five-card stud, that's what you get. You get five cards. There's no draw. There's no nothing else. What happens is, is you shuffle the cards. For those of us who have played poker, you understand what that's all about. If I can get into the cards, they're brand new. So let's make sure that I... So I used to be a decent card player. Now that I'm a Christian, I don't play poker anymore. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Hey, I want to show you a magic trick first. Hey, Parker, could you come here for a second, buddy? This is one of my young friends, Parker, here. He's... Does your mom and dad let you wear shorts in church? Yeah. yeah. I wish I could. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Now, don't show me. I want you to pick one card. Pick one card. Okay. Do you see what it is? Okay, show everybody what it is. You got it? Okay, don't show me, right? Okay, stick it back in there. Not there. Not there. Okay, that's good. Okay, here, go ahead and shuffle them. Okay. Here we go. Is that your card? No? Is that the card? I'm a preacher, not a magician. <laughs> go ahead. <clears throat> I, I'm not a good card. I, I can play cards, but I'm not a good trickster. But here's the deal. Just like that, God shuffles the deck of our life. And the metaphor is he gives us five cards. And the key is, what are you going to do with them? Like one card, he might give you your first card is a four of diamonds. Okay, well, if you're playing poker, that's not really all that good. And then you go, oh, queen of clubs, there's some potential there, but not a lot. If I only get three more, so you get three more. Now I got, let me see, what's my next card? Oh, six of hearts. That's a bunch of junk, as we would say. And then my next, oh, ace of clubs. What can happen? I shuffled these earlier and brought them out. And then my last card is king of hearts. What did I get there? Jack squat. <laughs> there's, there's nothing there. But here's the deal. Let's pretend like we're playing because in five-card studs you could do this. Let's say the dealer says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have a wild card. And the wild card is going to be the king of 
the kings. All four kings are going to be wild cards or two of them, whatever you say. So now I have one of the wild cards. Here's the deal. Look what I got. Now I have two aces, which in five-card stud has pretty good opportunity to win because it's going to take a bunch of other kinds of really good hands to potentially beat that. Now that's what God does is he gives us these cards. And understanding them will give you tips on how to play your cards. And I want to talk about five cards today and five uncontrollable factors that you get. Because as you see, when the cards are passed out, and I did it first service, I shuffled them. But when you pass them out, you don't have any choice in them. You just got to play what you get. I don't control everything that happens to me either, do I? But here's what I can do. I can control how I respond within to what happens outside of me. Every one of us has been dealt a hand of cards, loved ones. The key is, is how are we going to play it? So how do you deal with the cards and what are the cards? Well, the first card here, the four of diamonds, let's call it conception, your biology. You were all conceived. None of us here chose where we were born, when we were born. I didn't choose my gender, my parents, my race, my natural abilities, those natural weaknesses that I have. But a wise player can take cards, and even though they're a bad hand, they can oftentimes make them a winning hand, even if it's by simply bluffing. Now, you can't bluff through life, but you can make decisions in life that will ultimately help you. And there are ways to take what you've been given to make the most out of them. And some of us, we just simply, as we deal with this, we've got to reframe everything you think that about your wife that you see as a flaw. Here's how we have to reframe it. In golf, we call it positive cognitive reframing. You hit a bad shot and you've got to reframe it to take whatever good there is out of it. And some of us have to do that with our lives because we don't see any good out of the conception of our life. We've come up and we look at ourselves, we look in a mirror or we think of ourselves. We just don't see ourselves in any good ways but you've got to reframe it to understand that every one of those flaws are probably a God-given uniqueness, whether we like it or not. Joseph Campbell said this well, the privilege of a lifetime is being who you are. Have you ever talked to people that you just know they're not comfortable in their own skin? The greatest gift that you can give to God is to be who you are and growing in him to make who you are looking more and more like him. All of us have been given things. We've got our genes, your height, your weight, your, your tendencies. And some people are born with musical talent. Some people have incredible athleticism. Some with an extraordinary intellect. And some goofballs get all of it. And you wonder, where's the justice in that? And then there's some of us, we go, well, I'm not real smart. I'm not real coordinated. Can't play an instrument. Well, maybe you've got people skills. Maybe you have an ability to do some other things. But all of these things are about your uniqueness and who God has made you. It's how it is and it's who you are. And the key, loved ones, is how you're going to play that first card. David the psalmist said in Psalm 139, verse 14, he said, thank you, Lord, for making me so wonderfully complex. I love that. Some of your translations that we're more familiar with would say, fearfully and wonderfully made, that there's this awe of how God has created every person. 
and we live in this, this, this awe of what God has done because we're wonderfully made, regardless of the flaws or the ways that you see yourself. Remember Helen Keller? She was deaf, she was mute. Did you know that she knew five languages? There was a man who was stricken with polio. His name was Franklin Delano Roosevelt who became our president. Paul, the apostle Paul, had this thorn in the flesh that forced him forced him to depend on God. Paul said this, because of an illness in Galatians 4.13, because of my illness, I came to you, Galatia, for the first time preaching the good news. He saw this flaw. He saw this illness as part of the uniqueness of God's capacity to work in him and through him. It says, I stayed here and I preached the gospel because I was sick. There was a whole church there in Galatia now because of that. God used Paul's illness to spread the good news. Well, here's a second card. You got the queen of clubs there. This is your connections, your relationships in your life. We were wired to be connected. We were wired to be in relationship. What what, what do you mean? Well, if you want to have cliff notes on the Bible, here it is. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus is talking, and they're asking him, what's the greatest commandment? He says it's this. The whole Bible is summed up in these two things. Number one, love God and love your neighbors as yourself. How do you know if you're really loving someone? Well, love means T-I-M-E, time. The greatest gift you can give anyone is attention and time. Yesterday, I was working to kind of finish up for today and get some stuff together, and Trina's talking to me. And um, she loves to talk, and I love to talk with her. And she's talking to me, and she goes, you know what I mean? And I go, I had two options really quickly. I could... (laughs) You, you, you know the options? I could fake her out and go, oh, yeah. But then she would go, well, do you, what, what did I say? Or what do you think? And I'd have to go, I don't know. So she finished, and I said, honey, I'm really sorry. I just wasn't listening to anything you just said. <laughs> so you, you, you learn quickly. My acopas work really well. But see, then I stopped, and I listened to her. And then that just meant the world to her because I was able to you know, be honest. And, but people want you to listen to them. And these connections have to do with your family and your parents and your siblings. You got no control over who they are. You were just placed in that family and they were placed there. And then you you spend time, you spend years in a place and God has brought you around me, me around you. God decided that. It says in Acts 17, 26, from one man and one woman, he made every nation of men and women. And God determined the time set for them, the exact places where they should live. I love that. Because you know what it means? You're not an accident. I'm not an accident. God has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for every one of us. And it doesn't have to be neon lights, but it is purposeful. And God calls us to be intentional and these relationships and connections become really important because they can affect the blueprint of your life. Sociologist Charles Cooley, he was a sociologist in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He developed this thing called the Cooley looking glass theory. 
And it's how you see yourself. He says this, that how you're, there's a couple more points to it, but the key is how you see yourself is oftentimes determined by how you believe the most significant people in your life see you. So ultimately, the degree of personal insecurity or security that you display is going to be determined by what you think those significant people see in your life, how those significant people in your life see you. As one who grew up in a, in a no-affirmation family, I understand this because the only way I ever got affirmation was through sports, but it was never from my dad. He didn't really come to any of my sports events until I was in college. And then I think he did it because of my in-laws. So how I see myself sometimes is a reflection of how I think my dad saw me. And it's the same for you. Think about yourself. How did your mom see you? How did your dad see you? And some of us, we've had to work really hard to move beyond that ceiling or that negativity. Or for some of us that have been blessed, that positivity, we can embrace it and we see ourselves. We have this tendency to try and be what they think. That can be good if you grow up in a good setting, but it can be very negative in a negative setting. Because this can be dangerous when we try too hard to please other people instead of trying to please God with our life. Because then we become what the scripture calls people pleasers and we're running around all of our lives doing things to try and please others. But we understand there's no perfect relationships. We hurt each other. We misunderstand each other. Sin happens. We get broken relationships. We get disconnected from others and even from God. But make sure, make sure, if you're a Christ follower or if you're on the journey to find out who Jesus is, here's the deal. You want to make sure that the person you're looking to that's going to give you that significance is the one that you can trust and look to and believe in. The most important person in our life is Jesus, and that's who we get our affirmation from. The the third card. Six of hearts. This is circumstances. These are the things that get thrown at you. It's the things that are done to you that are both good, bad, evil, fun, wonderful. Here's the deal, though, with people. Most of us, we give this card way, way too much power. We let it have much too effect or influence upon our lives. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this in his book. He's in chapter 4, verse 14. He said, you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. And he's talking about trusting in God's will. He's talking about trusting Christ because you don't know what's going to happen. So don't look so far ahead. Don't let circumstances affect you because accidents happen. Some things happen because of sin. Maybe you're sitting here today and you don't like this talk already because of the cards that you've been dealt. Maybe you've been abused. You say, why would God give me that card? Maybe you've lost a child. Why would God give me that card? I don't know. I can't answer that. When people ask those kinds of questions of abuse and death and all of these just negative things, this is all I can say. Here's what I know. God loves you. And God was in the same place 
when you had your loss or pain or grievance or abuse or whatever it is, God was in the same place then as he was when his son died on the cross. And just like he didn't stop that, he didn't stop yours, and I don't know why. But God never wastes a hurt. Maybe you've experienced a series of failures and all those things can begin to affect your identity and how you see yourself. While you cannot choose, you can't determine what a lot of the circumstances are that you want, you can choose how you react to them. I was watching yesterday uh, a brief TV interview on the news. It was a husband and wife and they were losing their farm. I can't remember what city. I didn't hear it because I kind of got in the middle of it. And, but he was kind of complaining. And he was saying, you know, some, there's been so much stress. There were, he was talking about, I got to go sell my tractors and everything. And the wife's saying, no, you don't. Keep them. We got to keep them. And they're kind of having this little banter in this interview. And he says, that's exactly what's going on. See, we just can't get along. I don't know if we're going to be married in such and such a time much longer. And I was watching, and I says, here, that, the, the, the issue is not the tractors. The issue is not the farming. What happens with people is it isn't the issues and the circumstances that cause the cracks. They only simply reveal the cracks that are already in one's life. It's only difficulty and all of those things, they begin to distill what's inside and they begin to rise to the surface everything that's there. And that's why it's so important that we don't overplay or misunderstand circumstances and how God can use them. We give them way too much power, but God can give you the power to rise above anything you face. I was just talking to three or four people after first service and they were telling me some of the stuff that they were going through. And they said, you know, thankfully, here's the deal. I don't have all my cards yet. I thought that's a great attitude because you really don't know until you know. Fourth card, ace of clubs. This is inner conversations. This is the story you tell yourself. Some have to change our autopilot thinking. The way you think affects the way you feel, and the way you feel and think ultimately affects the way that you're going to behave. The wise man Solomon, whose words we've been studying for the last few months, Proverbs 4.23 says this, be careful that you think, be careful what you think, because your thoughts will ultimately run your life. You cannot control what others say to you. You cannot control what others say about you. The danger is when we start ingraining those negative thoughts that people say about us or communicate to us, that becomes a problem, and we begin to replay them in our mind. How many of you have experienced this where you could do something, get five compliments, but one person says something that might have just a negative twinge to it, and you focus on that? That's how so many of us are in life. And we begin to forget the good and we begin to just simply replay over and over the negative. And if you do that throughout your life, you begin to embed those things in the highways of your brain and you begin to believe them and then you begin to act those out. Be careful what you think. Now, now hear me, I, parenthetically let me add this. Sometimes we don't have a lot of self-awareness. And there are things that people, like if you hear something again and again, then you might want to take it in and change it. 
if you get a lot of people you trust saying it, okay? Change it. Don't just go, well, that's not who I really am. But change it. But there are things that people say and you begin to believe that really are not true. Proverbs again says this, as a man or woman thinks in their heart, so are they. You've got to control, you've got to be thinking about how you think. The fifth card is our choices. Remember I said earlier that this one king of hearts was the wild card? This is the wild card of the cards that we get because this really is one area that we can have control over. This wild card, it went from a nothing hand to two aces high. It can change the suit. It can change the number on any card. One of the greatest gifts that God gives us besides Jesus Christ as our Savior is the freedom of choice. You and I can make decisions and choices for our life. This fifth card can either make you or break your entire life when you get it. Your choice is always your wild card. Don't we know that? How many of us have choices that we look at in our life and we go, wow, are you kidding me? Why did I do that? Or what's worse is when we go, why did I do that again and again and again? Everyone's been given a choice by God, loved ones. Your choice will either be your greatest gift or your greatest curse because poor choices can ruin our life, can curse our life, and cause us problems. God told his people thousands of years ago, and it's the same for us. He says, I am setting before you a blessing or a curse. Choose which way you're going to go. Because in the person of Jesus Christ, we've already received, Second Peter 1, every spiritual blessing. The key is will we walk in it, even in the midst of negativity and difficult. 10% of life is, is what happens to you. 90% is ultimately how you respond to it. There are people in this room, you grow, you, you, you were felt like you were given a bad hand with the home that you were deposited into. Maybe you got married, had a bad hand in that marriage. We can't control that, but we can sure control the choices that we make afterwards. How many have heard of Nick uh, Buchicic? He was a man that was born with no arms and no legs. You know what he's doing now? Well, before that, when he was a young boy, Imagine this, he experienced depression. Literally, he could sit on this little table right here. He said, when I was growing up, I just felt like I was depressed all the time and I didn't feel like I had any purpose because I couldn't do anything. No kidding. But he said, one day I made a choice. I made a decision to think outside of the box. What could a person with no arms and no legs do? And he said that's when he made this commitment to Christ. And you can see him on YouTube. You can watch his story. You can see his testimony. Because now he travels all over the world giving his testimony of God's amazing grace to him and his purpose and his destiny for his life. It's an incredible story. I would encourage you to look it up. This is what he said. He said it's all about choices. I had parents who were my heroes. They always said you can either be angry for what you don't have, or you can be thankful for what you do have. Do your best, and God will do the rest. Now I think, you know what, every time I, I get to one of those days, you know, you have, and you want to whine and complain and bellyache and 
ask God what in the world's going on, I just think of Vic. I'm just gonna do my best. I'm gonna give God the rest because we are so blessed. See, some of the, these things convinced, uh, some of these things I am convinced that God's allowed us, he's allowed them in our lives. Hear me, God doesn't cause these things, okay? I, I couldn't serve a God if I believed that he just said, you know what, I think, oh yeah, this Vic guy, I think I'm just gonna make him just this little body with a head. There's sin, there's all of this stuff in the world, even in the, uh, I think we're seeing some of it with our world now, uh, with all the storms and everything that's taking place. Romans says that even creation cries out for its redemption because we're in this fallen place. And I am convinced, loved ones, that some of the things that we face are allowed in our lives so that we will look to him. It's not to see how bad he is. It's not to see how mean he is, but it's to see how good he is, how much we lack and how much we need God and how much we need to look to him and see that God is at work in, in us because he loves us. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, remember he talks about this thorn in the flesh. He's got this thorn in the flesh. He says, I begged, I pleaded God three times to remove it. But what does God say to him? He simply says, my grace is sufficient. And then what does Paul say? Now I boast. Now I glory in my limitations for Christ's sake. What if we did that, loved ones? What if we saw those negative things, those difficult circumstances, and we say, God, may you be glorified in and through them. So how do we play this hand that doesn't have much? How do we play our hand, loved ones, that some of us have received and we can begin to quickly look at all the negatives of them? The first one I want you to see is I can choose to improve and deepen my relationships. You can choose to make your relationships better because this card is somewhat under your control. I can develop my communication skills. I can reach out and I can make good connections, such as making good friends, and I can reduce the bad connections. Now, that sounds kind of weird, but as Christians, sometimes, have you ever, do you have people around you that when you see them, you just go, man, they just suck the life. I'm with them for five minutes, and it's like they just vacuum the life out of me. You got any people like that? I hope it's not your spouse. Don't raise your hand, but... <laughs> And then there's other people. You're with them for five minutes and you feel like, man, I could just, I could, I could, I could breathe. There's this life that they give. I'm not talking about marginalizing, but sometimes it's important that we create margin with some of the people that just kind of suck the life out of us. And then we work to make the other relationships good. One of the things that can prevent us from doing so is simply the fear of being rejected. Many may think, well, you know, they may not like me. What if I step out and somebody rejects me? What if they do? What if they do? Find somebody else. It's always disappointing when people come to Creekside and they go, well, man, you know, I just, I didn't get connected. Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time I would say that they probably didn't try really hard. Take some risk and reach out to others. Try to make friends. Yeah, but I just got this fear. Well, here's what the scripture says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It says there's no fear in love, 
what happens? Love casts out perfect, no, perfect love casts out fear. You know what love does for us, loved ones? It gets the focus off of us, off of you, and it puts it on someone else. Love asks, I wonder if someone can use a little encouragement. Love always asks, I wonder if somebody could use a little affirmation. Love will ask, I wonder if somebody could use some attention. Just have someone listen to them this morning. That's why I always say when I pray about Creekside on Sunday mornings, I pray that people will connect here. That you'll be sensitive when you come. It isn't just, okay, let's get there and do our thing and get out. You know, let's not be the ones that come in after the first song and leave during the closing prayer, but that we really learn to connect with people. Because ultimately, God gives you these relationships for a purpose. And when you really begin to love, guess what? The fear is going to begin to diminish. So what if somebody rejects you or you feel that? Or maybe you just don't connect with somebody. Find somebody else. Because we're meant for relationship. The best place to learn is really in a church setting. Because this is kind of like a laboratory that God established because he's the creator of community. And a great way to develop relationships are through small groups. That's why we do them, is because we want the larger church to get smaller. Here's another great way to develop relationships, is through service. Is getting on a serving team. That's why we call it Team Creekside, because we don't want people serving alone. But there's, most of you don't even, many of you don't even know all the service opportunities and the things that take place on a Sunday morning and the people it takes. But you get on one of those teams and you begin to meet people. I met a couple last, this last week and I was talking to them and I, um, I said, well, how'd you end up at Creekside? And they, and they told me, and I remember this, but they said, oh yeah, this guy invited me to be a part of this serving team and I just started doing it. And then one thing led to another and I started coming to church and one of our kids started coming to church and before you know it, here we are. Now we're going to go to the membership class. And this is all within probably about a two-month period. See, if you want to make friends, one of the things we're going to be talking about is getting, becoming people who serve and get on a serving team. God has a design, loved ones, for every one of your lives. That's what he says in Matthew 25. I've got talents for you. I've got places for you to be able to give yourself. The value of every life is always measured by how much of it is given away. Not how much you got people around you and you're receiving from. It's another choice. I can choose to trust God no matter what. God will use every circumstance for your good. God will never waste a hurt. You cannot change what happens to you, but you can change what happens through you. The book of Romans is powerful. Many of us in this room know this verse. Probably some of us have experienced it. Romans 8 says this, that God knows us far better than we know ourselves. That's why we can be so sure every detail in our lives of love for God will be worked into something good. The translation most of us may be familiar with is simply God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Can I, just let me tell you, because somebody might be saying, well, that's not me, man. I don't know if I love God and I don't know if I'm called according to his purposes. Here's what I believe, because you're here today, you'll probably love God at some point and you're called according to his purposes and he wants you to know that. 
Don't let your circumstances or what others think of you take you hostage. Instead, instead, choose to trust God and live your lives in a love for God so that every detail in your life can be worked into something good. Because a lot of us live this way. We believe that we're a product of our past, and we are. Everything in your past, the home you grew up in, the parents you had, the siblings you spent time with, all of these things, the schools you went to, whatever, they're a pro- you're a product of that past. But here's the deal, you're not a prisoner of it. And that's where a lot of people miss it. They think they're a prisoner of their past. It has influence over you, but it should never control you. Can I tell you something? It's just one of the cards. You can choose to trust God with your past. There's an appropriate way to use your life narrative. A lot of us want to use it as an excuse or to blame others. But God says, no, I want to use it as a testimony to my ability to be able to free you from your past circumstances, difficulty, present things that you're going through. That's what I want your narrative of your life to be about. Not always going back to the past and bemoaning it. I am convinced when I look in this church, I look around, you people, serious, and I go, I don't think most of us understand how much influence we could have on the people around us. We're so diminished and devalue ourselves, even though we're sons and daughters of the living God. Here's the question. Will you choose to trust him with your life? And then I can choose what I think about. I can't stop the thoughts from coming into my head. I can't stop what people might say about me, but I can stop myself from dwelling on the negative thoughts. John Calvin, the great reformer and theologian and preacher, a couple centuries ago, he wore this cap because the birds would go by and they'd poop on it. And one day he was talking and he said this, you know what, I can't control, I can't stop the birds from flying overhead, but I can stop them from landing and making a nest on my head. Here's the problem with so many, and maybe probably a number of us in this room, is as you begin to hear what people say, and then it begins to become part of your thinking and it gets ingrained. We begin to talk like this. Oh, I got angry. Can't do that anymore. And oh, I got angry again. And then, oh, I tried so hard, I got angry. And then pretty soon you go, man, I'm so stupid. I'm such a failure. I'm such a loser. I can't control my thinking. I can't control my anger. And that's the problem, is that begins to get ingrained and embedded in your thinking. And that's the track that your mind races on. And pretty soon you believe you can't get over that anger or fill in the blank, whatever it is. But you can control your thinking. Romans 12, 2 says this, don't be conformed to the world, copy the behavior and customs of it, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You want to know how the best way to change your way of thinking is? It's by renewing your mind through the scriptures. That will begin to change the way you think. You can begin to take the positive from the scriptures and replace the negative that you're thinking. Oh, I'm so angry. No, let the joy of the Lord be my strength. 
It's critical to renew your inward thinking and voices, loved ones. It's so easy to, to blame yourself, to blame others, and to blame circumstances. But all this does is it enables us to smuggle in these areas into the next future of part of our life. We've got to think and move to the solution side, which will always start with Christ's power. If you want to break a thinking focus, you've got to refocus it with something else. You have a choice. Everyone in this room, you have a choice. You can listen to God and his word. You can listen to the enemy of your soul who the Bible says throws these fiery darts and tells you these things. You can listen to the world that tells you you're not really all that valuable unless you're this, that, or the other. Or you can hear what God says. You know what God says? <laughs> God says you're valuable. God says I created you. I formed you. God says, you are my beloved. God says, you are forgiven. God says, I have blessed you with everything you're ever going to need. Maybe not everything you're ever going to want, but I have blessed you with all of that, and you are usable. You can either listen to the right thing or the wrong thing, but you, cho you choose. You'll have a choice. See, people are either thermometers. You merely register what is around you, and you begin to conform to it. Whatever's going on around you. Here's the problem a lot of times with Christ followers and even the church. We're, we're, we're committed to being a thermometer, so we're trying to watch and, you know, get the conventional wisdom, the wisdom of the day. And by the time we figure out what it is, we tap into it and it's already obsolete. You do that with our lives. We want to become like the world, kind of. And by the time we figure out what it is they're doing, we step into it and it's already gone and now we're out of date. No, God says that's what, a, that's what a conformer does. I want you to be a transformer. It's a thermostat. They regulate the atmosphere. We're called to be transformers, choosing to change the things around us in a positive way, being change agents, not being changed upon. The key is to hear God's voice and his word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Here's the last choice. And I could give you 10 others, but time doesn't permit. I was going to talk about choosing a mate. You can choose a great mate if you do it God's way. I can choose Jesus as my Savior. This is the greatest card of all right here, the King of Hearts. Jesus is the King, and he can change your heart. He can change your thinking if you work with him. You cannot change the five cards that are dealt to you that we talked about, but you can make choices about them to live out God's purposes. You may not be able to change your conception, obviously, your connections, your early circumstances, the people who are around you. But if you wisely make choices and you begin to choose Jesus, the lover of your soul, the one who wants to be the king of your heart, Anything in your life can change. But you've got to do this. You've got to do what Joshua said in Joshua 24. He said, choose this day whom you will serve. And he said this, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Where are you today? Where do you need to make some choices in how you're going to play your cards? This is what I'd like for you to do. On your table there is there's some cards. I'd love for you to grab one. You don't have to. But maybe take one of those cards that's on your table. If by perchance there's no cards there, 
the table next to you will. What I encourage you to do is take one of these cards and just write on there something. What is the choice that I need to make today? Maybe it's I got to trust God more. Maybe it's I got to change my stinking thinking. Maybe it's I got to receive Jesus. Maybe I've never committed my life to Christ. Whatever it is, maybe it's nothing that I said. Maybe it's just something that God's Spirit is speaking to you now. What is something in your life that you need to change? I want to encourage you to take and write it on the card. And then when we're done today, to take that card with you in this week. Stick it in your Bible someplace where you'll see it. And you can pray over it and say, Lord, this is what I want you to do in my life, and I'm going to work with you. I'm going to make the choice today, this week, to begin to do that. If you would just take a moment and do that. finish if you need to, but with the rest of you, just stand with me, and we're just going to sing this song about God's love awakens us, and that's my prayer that for today, you would just understand the love of God for you, and it would awaken something in your heart, your soul, your life, your mind, to begin to believe that God's got something for you, greater purpose and destiny in your life for you. He's already mapped it out. We just get to walk in it, and let's listen to his voice to hear what he'd speak to us. Let's go ahead and sing it.